listeners. Welcome to the podcast. Super grateful to have you joining us. Very grateful for Hannah Finchamp Otto for joining us and Sarah Kaufman on this episode. Uh, They share some incredible stories and insight, and I'm very thankful for the time that they spent. Uh, You'll kind of hear Hannah's story as well as how I know her or uh, see her often riding around where we ride uh, and how cool she is uh, for her training, her sponsors, and what she's got in store for 2022 being a privateer and what that means to her and what it means for uh, what she's hoping to accomplish. So great story from her, really fun episode with Hannah. Uh, Big thanks to everybody that joined camp. Man, what a community, Uh, everybody that made the effort to be there. It is not easy, you know, Uh, going to St. George sometimes it's like so fun, but it's also uh, a bit of a sacrifice to leave family and, and work to be part of this great community, to build something. And I'm very grateful for all the efforts. Um, I mean, even shout out Big Tay Cannon came down. That's a nine-hour drive from where he lives to be with us for a couple rides. Um, Grateful for him and others like him who are dedicated to building something big and being part of a a great community and group that lift each other. So big thanks to Jim Hutton for his house and dinner, Jake Cook for planning, everybody that made the raffle possible, uh, Ventum, Mercury, Zion's Bank, uh, there are so many uh, on that sponsors list that contributed to um, that incredible raffle that was uh, very fun and uh, really cool to give away so many pro- uh, prizes. So uh, thanks for that. We're already planning next year. Just kidding. But we are. Uh, we're looking forward to camp for next year. We've got some fun things um, for the team coming rolling out for 2022. Uh, a ride calendar is on the top of our list for things that we can do to make the team better and come together better. Uh, also with this podcast, we're releasing the new kit links. So summer kits are going to be available and all the ordering from Volet. Uh, big shout out to Volet for coming to team camp. That was so fun to have them there. Uh, grateful for their effort too, man. That's an eight hour drive for Volet to be with us. So thankful for them. All right. That's the end of the introduction. Enjoy this podcast with Hannah and Sarah Uh, I'm thankful again for them and the time they spent, and hopefully you enjoy. Thanks. All right. Welcome to the Miduele Podcast. I am so excited. Uh, Two lovely ladies with me today, so Sarah Kaufman and Hannah Finchamp. Although, Hannah, it's Hannah Otto. I don't call you Finchamp. That's going to be really hard, right? (laughs) That's okay, but thanks for for letting people know. It'll be a slow process, I'm sure, to get everyone on board. (laughs) Well, it says it says right on the top of your website, like no longer Hannah Finchamp. So, <laughs> well, I'm really excited about the fact that now my name, Hannah Otto, is a double palindrome. Oh, so that's that's the easiest way to to try okay. and remember it. Okay, <laughs> go, very yeah. good, very good. Uh, if you don't know Hannah, um, I shame on you. Uh, we're so grateful to have her on. And I have asked Sarah, uh, Sarah's been on, Sarah, you've been on once before, although I've used your consulting services a few times to make sure I don't look like a fool. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being with us. Um, Sarah joined early on where we talked about coaching and we introduced you to one of our athletes, Doug Brower. And so thank you, Sarah, for being on kind of guest with me as well. Yeah. I'm glad to be back. Thanks. Uh, Hannah, can I just do a short introduction and then we'll go right into some questions? Absolutely. Okay. So if you don't know Hannah, she's been racing for half of her life. Uh, From her website, she says she's been racing since she's nine. (laughs) And that started on a bike that was more than half her weight. Dude, I want to see that picture. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, Then 11 years later, she started professionally. So professional license in triathlon and mountain biking. Um, And it was fun today, Hannah, to see a lot of your early success from the NICA program. So through high school mountain biking, that was awesome. So, uh, after winning the, after winning the Xterra amateur world championship in triathlon, she joined the cliff pro team, then Luna. And after winning the amateur title, a second time, she started hundred uh, percent on your bike, right? hundred percent mountain biking. Yep. <laughs> She's worked up the ranks, starting as a two-time high school state champion on mountain bike, and then earning podium positions at multi-pro cyclocross and epic races, and finished off her college career five-time national champion. What in the world? And that was from uh, 
Lindenwood University. I had to look up where it was, St. Charles, Missouri. Uh, you finished there with a degree in athletic training and exercise science and is a USA certified cycle coach and board certified athletic trainer. So as everybody knows, we get all of our kits from Volley and Hannah sponsored by Volley. And yeah. that's how I first met you is scrolling with my thumb. <laughs> and I saw uh, your, you would often be featured on Volley's uh, social posts. So I jumped over to your page and I'm like, that is Immigration Canyon. And so uh, I call it investigative research, but it's really just stalking. And it turns out you're right down the street from me on 45th South. Uh, in Salt Lake City. So now I'm always that creep that's honking and wave, waving and it's Hannah. And she's like, always gracious to wave back, but has no <laughs> idea who I am. So I know I always see her in my neighborhood too. But <laughs> Hannah, can I just ask all those um, five-time collegiate national uh, championships, was that across multiple, multiple disciplines, I'm guessing? Two were XC, two were short track, and one was cyclocross. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Dang, yeah. so cool. Yeah. And now you're not in your orange uh, outfit, so I don't recognize you as well, but your new 2022 kit is so good looking, it is really pretty. Is yeah. that a good word? Pretty? <laughs> <laughs> it was super fun to work with Volet on that. They were yeah. awesome. Like, I just sent them a whole bunch of super abstract ideas, having absolutely no idea what they would come up with. And all of a sudden in my <laughs> inbox, I was like, yep. That That's is it. exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Very <laughs> and cool. I didn't even know it. <laughs> it's so, so it's so yeah. awesome. And um 100% approval from all the ladies on the Miduele team when they saw it. They uh they love it. So it's very good looking. And then you've spoken a few times to our high school mountain bike team, which is fun. Um, I pretended like I was a coach and went and listened. So really fun for you to be part of this community. And um, I don't know how long you're in Utah, but it sure feels like you're here a lot training as I watch your Strava. And, um, anyway, so great. Oh yeah. I, uh, I moved here when I graduated college in 2018 and we just bought a house. So I will be here for the long foreseeable future. <laughs> Dang, that is tough in these, yeah, really these trying yeah. times. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Um, I spent a lot of time doing a little research on how you're career as a professional and endurance athlete started, but maybe you tell the story, how it all came to be. Yeah, I definitely took a less traditional route to the place that I am today. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll just say how it all started. I started like a lot of kids do in the sport of soccer. I played a lot of soccer growing up. Um, and when I was nine years old, I would often find myself asking my mom if I could get to practice early so I could run laps around the field before practice, <laughs> which was somewhat abnormal for a nine-year-old child. <laughs> so my mom noticed that and asked me, well, would you rather just do a running race perhaps? And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Let's, let's all sign me up for a running race. Um, so I went to the running race and at the race, there was a booth advertising a triathlon and I stopped at the booth, looked at what triathlon was, asked the guy all kinds of questions and said, yep, actually that's what I want to do. And I asked my mom to sign me up for a triathlon. So she took me to a little camp where I could learn how to do it. And the rest was history. I raced triathlon from nine years old to 20 years old. I raced on-road draft legal, the Olympic style. I raced events like Escape from Alcatraz. I raced all over the country. I raced internationally. I raced Xterra. And ultimately, I went to college as a triathlete. I signed at Lindenwood University on an academic and cross-country running scholarship. And I ran for their track and cross country team. I swam for their swim team and I rode for their cycling team. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, and so that I was pretty set. That was what my sports journey was going to be. I was a triathlete through and through, and I was pretty dead set on that. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I, so I won, as you mentioned, the Xterra Amateur World Championship at ages 16 and 17, and I earned my professional license. 
through that and through some on-road races as well. And I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Cliff Bar recruited me onto the Cliff Pro team uh, for triathlon at that point. They had a triathlon program. And then around age 20, my junior year of college, Cliff Bar came to me and said, we're discontinuing our triathlon program, part of the team. Uh, you're welcome to continue on as a sponsored athlete. But if you'd like to continue on as a part of the team, you're still so young that we'd love to support you if you'd like to transition into mountain biking. And so that was a really pivotal moment in my career. And having done NICA and racing in college, I knew that I did love the mountain bike and it just felt like the next perfect challenge. So I went all in on it. I went from winning the world championship to being the last call-up in the pro XCT start grid. And I felt like in many ways I started all over, which a lot of people always ask, oh my gosh, was that so hard? But it was really invigorating. It was really exciting to see what I could do in this new sport and to work my way up to where I am now. Hannah, do you think you would still be racing triathlon without that decision put in front of you? It's such a hard question. I, I do wow. think about that often. Um, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I absolutely love it. So I would never change that decision. I think I would have gotten there eventually, but I'm not sure through what route. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it, that's a really tough decision mm-hmm. when you feel like you, you're on a, on a set path and then you're presented with a, a great opportunity, but a pretty different direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hannah, when you are looking at all, like for me, this sport takes an incredible amount of energy, like cycling in and of itself, like whether it's like our diet or even resting for me is hard. I don't ever want to do that. And it's the hardest part, <laughs> but it, it feels like you are blessed with an incredible amount of energy. Um, whether it's like a nine-year-old running around a field. Um, but as you've poured your heart and your body and everything into this, what is motivating you to do it? I mean, where do you, where does it come from all this energy? Yeah. I mean, for me, I just feel like this is a talent that God has blessed me with. And so for as long as I can remember, that has always been my motivation is feeling like, um, God gave me these gifts and this is a way that I get to glorify God by being the best that I can be through the talents that he's given me. And so with that being the foundation, I just find a lot of motivation and being better than I was yesterday. And I've always said, I want to be one step better. And I hope that eventually that step will take me to the biggest stages in the world. Dang. Did you know that always, or is that like a realization that you've come to learn over years? Or was that like presented to you as a 12 year old? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What part? (laughs) (laughs) The part of glorifying God. Mm. I mean, that's, that's pretty advanced for motivation. Yeah. I mean, I definitely grew up with a strong Christian foundation. And so I felt like, or I feel like, um, you know, that's always been the center of my life and it's the center of everything I do. So it only makes sense that from an early age, I would find God in the midst of this. And it's where I feel closest to my faith is when I'm out there and often I'm all alone and God is the only person that I can talk to. (laughs) Very cool. It gets lonely up there in Olympus Cove. (laughs) (laughs) Intervals on Zara. That's too real. (laughs) Sarah, do you want to ask your question about her mom? Yeah. I mean, that does kind of tie in. Like I, I remember I've just seen you over the years at your races and it feels like your mom is always there. She's always very sweet to all the other racers, but she is always there for you. And, um, I I'm curious what kind of role she played. I, I remember you as, um, maybe not that nine-year-old running laps around the soccer field, but maybe as that 16 year old who was doing, um, Xterra and, and specifically you were at those SoCal cross races, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, your mom 
since those races, seeing you for like as a little junior, um, and then to now still at the pro XCT races and, and beyond your mom is always there. And so I'm curious what role she has, has played if she is an athlete or, you know, how she supports you. Yeah, she, I mean, both of my parents are certainly athletic, so I'm blessed with good genes. Um, but neither of them athletes in the racing sense. So when my mom took me to my first running race, it was pretty much brand new. And certainly when I pointed at the booth and said, I want to race triathlon, that's why she took me to a camp. Cause she thought, I, what, what is this? <laughs> you know, back then it was, it was probably new for most people to hear about. I remember explaining it to all of my classmates. And so, yeah, I mean, my mom really just took it all, you know, the bull by the horns and I, for how long, you know, nine to 18, she was signing my race waiver for me. And so she was, a, and continues to be a huge part of my racing story all the way until I went to college. She went to well over a hundred races with me. Um, she's, she just gets it more than most, uh, if not all, it seems like at least, at least my, how I tick and how I work. Um, so yeah, she's been, she's just been essential to my, to my racing and to my journey. And, I'm still, I'm, I, you can tell I'm a little at a loss for words because it just, especially now looking back, it blows my mind the right. way that she was able to just, Oh, I'll learn how to pack this bike and teach my young daughter how to pack a bike. And I'll do all these logistics and I'll, you know, learn and drive the course to show her what the course is and to make sure that she's safe and to find her people she can ride with so that she's safe out on the roads. You know, these are all things that as a kid, it's like, oh yeah, I have these riding buddies. Oh yeah. I got to this race. It just made sense. But now looking back, she was a team manager, uh, right. which we all know is a huge job. Well, it's interesting too, because I think a lot of parents, um, with their kids, if they are athletes, maybe the kids are a little bit, the parent living vicariously through, um, kind of watching their dreams play out. But, you know, it sounds like she just fully got on board with your dreams, um, to support you. And it's, it's just, it's really, uh, pretty amazing. It's, it's pretty cool. Most definitely. It felt like I definitely was always pointing and saying, I want to do this. I want to do that. And she was just, okay. And then she would learn how to mm. allow me to do it. Um, <laughs> like you said, the SoCal cross races are, she took me to a bike shop. So like, it was like a win women's clinic. And so I went to the women's clinic and Dorothy Wong, yep. uh, who leads the SoCal cross series was there showing photos of racing bikes in the snow. And I pointed at that and said, I want to do that. And my mom said, okay. Okay, <laughs> it seems like this woman can show you how. <laughs> so I raced for Dorothy's team in the SoCal Cross Series for a while. And yeah, it just every little piece I feel has contributed to where I am now. Yeah, it's so pretty cool. And just as a side note, when I started thinking about remembering you in that series, I had to note that out of that series around that time, we have Corinne Rivera. Alexis and Kendall Ryan and you. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of female national champs in many disciplines, <laughs> um, extremely dominant uh, contingent that came out of there. Yeah. It's really cool to look at where all of them have gotten to at this point and being able to point to their Instagram and their photos and their success and be like, oh man, I've I've lined up with them. I've raced them. So yeah, it's really cool um, that we all started in that place together. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Hannah, how did you go from, was there ever a point where you were like, I'm pretty good at this to like, no, I'm way good at this. Like, how, <laughs> did that come, did that come easily or was that, did that come over time? It's such an interesting question because you know, I think when you're winning races, you're aware that you're doing well. Um, but something that I've 
definitely continue to discover is how many steps there are to this sport. And it seems like you never really know what's next until you're there. So, you know, going from I'm good at this to I'm going to be a professional to I'm going to make a career out of this. Those were some big steps that I feel like were certainly some wild dreams, but I had no idea how they would come to fruition. And so for me, I think, you know, throughout my younger years, all the way through high school, it was always just a focus on being one step better, you know, whether it was in my own training, I want to be a couple seconds faster in my loop or, um, whatever it was to, okay, I've, I placed fifth here last year. I want to place third here this year. And, you know, it wasn't really until I started getting to the point where that next goal was a goal that allowed me to earn my professional license that I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. I'm quote unquote, a professional athlete. But then that begs the question, well, what is a professional athlete? Is it having that license or is it getting paid to race Mm -hmm. and making a career in sport? And it wasn't really until college that that became a question and a focus and a big goal because that, that was when, you know, you graduate from college, it's time to figure out what your career is. And I knew that if this was going to be that, that step need to be needed to be made by then. Very cool. Sarah, just, um, for you, I mean, was it, was it similar? I don't, I don't know how this, this is one of the things I'm so intrigued about is how, it, how it happens. I mean, cause we, I ride with group riders all the time and they're like, dang, that guy's good. I mean, at what point are you like, no, 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 he's not good. Or she's just not good. They are like elite. How do you, how did you know, Sarah? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't put myself on the level that Hannah Stop. is. And I, I always kind of laugh at the, the, the quote unquote professional license, because, you know, like Hannah says, there's a, there's a point at which you get, you get that license versus, um, making a salary. And I mean, I've had a professional license since, um, 2007, I think, or eight, but I've never made, made a salary doing this. So it is a little bit, um, you know, when you talk about professional athletes, there's a pretty, um, within the world of cycling, there's a pretty wide range. And then, yeah, compared to like a, a basketball or like an NBA player or something, it's a little <laughs> bit different. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's That's a great wide perspective. Range. No, it's a really yeah. good perspective. We were with the Voller factory racing team down in St. George. They came with us to team camp. Well, one of their oh, athletes cool. and we kept asking Brad, he's Brad Wiggs. We kept asking Brad, you're a pro, you're a pro. And it was finally day two. He was like, you guys, um, I'm just going to stop you right there. <laughs> He's like, I'm not, I don't get paid. So I, I'm just going to let you know. I'm, uh, don't, don't get, I mean, he's incredible. He's the strongest guy there, but, um, that is an incredible insight. I didn't actually know, uh, much about that. So, okay. Very good. Uh, Hannah, one of my most favorite things you've ever said, it was on an Instagram post. Can I read it? Absolutely. Okay. You said, Last year at the national championships, I had the letters BS written on my top tube, but it didn't stand for what you think. The letters were short for my mantra, braver than you've ever been, stronger than you even know. Even after I removed those letters from my bike, it's a mantra I continue to repeat to myself. There's something about being braver and stronger that inspires confidence. I think the mantra applies both on and off the bike, especially right now. We all need to be a little braver and stronger than we've ever been. Can you talk a bit about that mantra? Yeah. And this mantra still stays with me. It's usually uh, one of the final things that my husband says to me before he goes off to the pits or I go off to the start line. It just, it really hits me because I think, as athletes, we limit ourselves a lot. Um, you know, we get used to how fast we can go. We get used to the numbers we hit. We get used to who beats us and who we beat. And so you almost, sometimes you can find yourself someone coming up on your right or left and you almost check to see who it is and, oh yeah, well, that person usually passes me. And so you're satisfied or, oh no, that person never beats me. And all of a sudden you find 
a second win because it makes sense to you. And so for me, as I've continued to improve throughout the years, I found that I've really needed to shed all of those preconceived notions when I get to the start line. One of the things that a coach said to me once was, how fast would you be if you didn't know how fast you are? And that always really hit me because I felt like if I can go into every race with a completely open mind as to how fast I can be, how good I can be, what place I can take, it's just so exciting. And I think that when you race with that excitement is when you do the best. And so for me, braver than you've ever been, stronger than you even know, it has excitement attached to it. And it also reminds me that I already am. I already am braver. I already am stronger. I'm not trying to accomplish those things today. I'm just showing up and being what I already am. That's intense, Hannah. That's, <laughs> it's really inspiring. I, um, I had a few athletes, you know, we're, it's springtime, right? The race season's just getting started. And I had a few athletes um, do their first race, you know, in the last few weeks. And I'm trying to impart to them, you will only do this with zero expectations mm -hmm. one time. And it's like, it's such an important, um, like energy to harness. Uh, and you know, exactly what you're talking about is to try to hold on to that and take that to the start line every time. But it's really hard to do after you have some expectations for yourself. It's incredibly hard. And that's, that's the point is it's not easy. Um, and you're right. I talk to athletes, I coach out that all the time because we all have them. I'm going into workouts. Even you see new numbers and nope, nope. Those aren't my numbers. I don't hit those numbers. Well, at some point you're going to, so why not today? Um, and it, it is, it's incredibly hard. All of this is easy to say, but I think it's fun to talk about and we can all kind of giggle and laugh together about how much we limit ourselves and how silly it sounds when, you know, it just seems so obvious when you say it to someone else, but it's so easy to say it to yourself. And I think that's kind of comical. We can laugh about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's really nice energy to, to um, start a race with and hopefully carry through yes. beyond the start line. <laughs> I feel like that would be key too. Exactly. You might, that's why it was on my top tube because I knew sure. I'd have to remind myself that's over right. and over. <laughs> yep. It's great. Well, I love too, that you say that it applies both on and off the bike. I mean, I think that sometimes we lose focus on that. These endurance sports are a perfect mirror of life often, um, meaning that the patterns that we see, uh, in a, in a, on a bike in training, um, you know, daily actions, how that is a, a life principle that is, uh, I say it to my kids all the time. You cannot sit down at the piano and practice on Saturday for an hour and think you're going to get good at this experience. Like it's not going to happen. And it's the same thing. Um, as silly as the pattern is to do this day after day after day. And, and to think that the mantra applies both on and off the bike. I just love this. Um, I think it's a great, very cool, very, um, insightful. I love it. Do Thank you, I mean, you. are you saying this to yourself, even in training? I want to say it every time I get to the bottom of immigration, I, uh, I've been here, I've been, I know what happens here, but it's not <laughs> going to happen today. <laughs> Absolutely. I think sometimes training is the hardest one of all. Like I said, you know, you, it's when you're saying braver and stronger, you already are. And that's what you've built in training. That's what lays that foundation where you can stand on that start line and say, I know I'm better than I was because I've already proved it 10 times to myself since, since the last race. That's where you can start to logically uh, and intellectually shed the pressure of the race, even though emotionally, I'm, I'm sure we all still carry that pressure. <laughs> Um, Sarah had some really cool insight to last year and, uh, your journey on some of your races, Sarah, do you want to talk about the question you've got for, for Hannah? Yeah. I wanted to hear about team us slay. Mm -hmm. Um, 
last year as part of the Olympic long team, you and Leah Davison, Chloe Woodruff, Aaron Huck, Kate Courtney, and Haley Batten became a U.S. sleigh with the shared goal of achieving um, a third Olympic spot for women's XCO. Um, Kate had an automatic spot, but the rest of you were technically fighting for the remaining spots. While you were competitors, you all recognized that you were stronger together and your shared goal of a third spot was bigger than anyone's individual goal. It was incredible to watch, so inspiring. And I'm curious, um, I mean, I want to hear you talk about that, that, uh, the, whole, the whole process, but I'm curious if it was a specific idea that someone articulated or if that just kind of came to life organically um, and, you know, what that experience meant to you. It was, I think, um, a lot of people, especially a lot of women, I mean, I have to think men and women, but so many of us were so inspired by that because this isn't an individual sport at the end of the day, even though, you know, I mean, you're a privateer, but I'm sure you've had teammates in the past when you go to the line, it's like, yes, they're your teammates and you may work together, but it is an individual sport and you were all, you know, working as individuals, but you had a shared goal that became bigger. It was incredible. Absolutely. I mean, the short answer for me was that it was a dream come true. Um, some, I, I learned a tremendous amount throughout that process last year and from those women. Um, so I'll just do a quick recap, uh, of kind of how all of this went down. So the Olympics truly are a four year journey. I remember hearing that a lot, you know, growing up thinking, well, yeah, it's a 15, 20, however long you've been training journey, but it truly is a four-year journey in that the U S has to gain points in order to gain spots and you have to qualify for the long team. So, um, in 2019, the long team was established. There was a set of criteria in which you could qualify for the long team. USA cycling set the criteria and at the world championships I met in, in 2019, I met one of those criteria to be on the long team. Um, so that's how the six of us were established. Now, within that six woman group, uh, I was most certainly an underdog. I want to be very humble about that because the key element to this was that I got in on that long team, you know, towards the tail end. And for me, that's where that dream came true for me. In 2016, it was the first year that I dedicated myself entirely to the bike. And granted, I did have a lot of experience through triathlon, but in 2016, when I set my sights on the bike, I remember where I was standing when I said, I want to be a part of the long team for 2020. Nice. So accomplishing that goal was huge. That was where I, that was where I wanted to be. Once I got there, it was oh my gosh, I made this goal. Now what? <laughs> now what? How do I get there? And I feel for me, I was much closer than I would have ever dreamed. Um, and what that means is certainly up for interpretation. But for me, I was ecstatic about it. For the other women, for Aaron, Leah, Chloe, and Kate, uh, Haley also came on towards the tail end like me. And then ultimately she made the team, which was amazing. Um, but for Leah, Chloe, Aaron, and Kate, they had been working towards those three spots for years. Um, they were the ones who really established this U.S. slay attitude and mindset. And they were traveling all over the world gaining points. And as a country, we want to gain the most points possible. So you don't want to take points from your U.S. teammates. So you have to work together to go to as many races as possible and to not overlap at as many races as possible as well. So you can get first place points at as many races as possible. So they started this outlook with the goal of getting three spots in the Olympics, which only two countries get to do. Only the two top ranked countries in the world get to send three people to the Olympics, three women to the Olympics. So this was an incredible feat. Um, and they did it. So all the kudos in the world to, for, to them, and they created that atmosphere. So having 
having the four of them having worked so hard together to get these three spots, they really cultivated that teammate atmosphere. And then being a part of the long team, they were gracious enough to include me in this atmosphere where we did a training camp together. We worked together. And at that point, when I was a part of it, it certainly felt very organic. Uh, A lot of talk of, well, you know, of course I want to make the team and you want to make the team, but we both want to have our best race to make the team. I don't want to make the team because you have a bad race. I want to make the Mm -hmm. team with us both having the best race. And if we're all the fastest, best case scenario, we take first through sixth at the world cup. (laughs) And at that point, you know, I'm not going to be too bummed if I'm sixth. It's, it's that kind of attitude, right? Like we all want to be first, but if we're all up there fighting at the front, it's a win for everybody. And in these training camps and, and moments where we're battling it out, one person being strong is only making everybody stronger because it sets the level higher. So that was a long answer to your question. (laughs) I hope I answered it, but, um, you know, those women are absolutely incredible and definitely taught me a lot and play a big role as mentors in my career. And I hope that, you know, as the next generation comes up and as I kind of straddle both part of their career and part of the next career, I hope that we continue that outlook because I think it definitely, it truly does make everyone better. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, that was, that was a great answer, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was just incredibly inspiring. Um, and, uh, a little bit, I mean, it also makes me really curious for what, um, the next round will look like, cause you'll have this long team experience already under your belt. Um, so, you know, we'll be, we'll be very excited to see. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's really interesting going into this next cycle, you know, with, with this knowledge that I have already knowing what it takes, but also knowing that knowledge helps, but it, only gets you so far, you know, it's like, okay, I know I have to do all these things. Now I have to go do them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's very exciting for sure. (laughs) Very cool. Hannah, we listed all of the, well, it's probably not all of them, but I listed some of the events that you could have participated in the last year. Um, do any of them stand out or any experiences or lessons learned from, of your last year of racing? Cause 2020 was weird. Uh, although you did win the mid South gravel in 2020, which was awesome to see. Um, I think Vole still has your muddy face <laughs> yeah. on the website, yeah. which is the best, but anything from last year that you, that kind of comes to the top of mind. Yeah. You know, I think some of what I did last year certainly inspires this year, which is I just, I love racing. And I think the more I race, the better I get. And so for me, I've never wanted to limit myself. Um, my goal, as we just discussed is certainly in the Olympics. So I often, um, prioritize the pro XCTs, you know, the world cups are my major focus, but I still love all kinds of bike racing. And I think all kinds of bike racing contribute to making me a better bike racer all around. So that's something that I'm definitely taking in this year is I'm racing a ton and I'm racing the lifetime grand prix. I'm racing pro CTs. I'm racing world cups. Um, and I think it's all going to contribute to that Olympic goal. And I'm really excited about it. So speaking of last year, I think that's probably what stands out to me the most is doing, you know, seven hour plus races like the Belgian Waffle Ride and Leadville. And then actually after Leadville, two weeks later, I went from, uh, 10,000 feet in Leadville, Colorado to the Dolomites in Italy and was lining up at the world championship. So those are experiences for sure that I will cherish forever and ever. Cause I think it's just so cool to be able 
to race your bike in such diverse ways and landscapes and different people and, and everything. It's just, it's my dream. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about how you're balancing um, some of the, the lifetime grand prix, like super mega marathon distance with like a, a world cup cross country race? Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, I think because of my background in triathlon, I have always had a little bit of a knack for that, you know, sustained sort of endurance, painful push. (laughs) And so some of that longer stuff, um, it feels like it just fits really well into the training calendar for me. And it's something, like I said, I like it. It's a chance for me to be able to line up and not feel the same sort of, uh, I don't want to say pressure because the only pressure that comes, comes from me, I feel, but, um, just the emotion that goes into a world cup where every single second counts Leadville, it's a much more relaxed start line because you have eight hours to make it happen (laughs) or, you know, seven hours, whatever it may be on the day. Um, so you know, it, it definitely is a unique way to do it, but I feel like I've always trained with really big volume. It works well for me. And so some of these longer races are simply chances for me to do a really hard training ride with hundreds or thousands of my (laughs) closest friends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. That makes sense. Um, I'm really curious to see um, how many people, cause in my mind, looking at the lifetime series, um, I'm like, that's a pretty full race calendar considering how big, you know, a lot of those days are. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, people compete in that as well as, um, how they pair with, with other events. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people on the list have, have or come from different disciplines, which I think adds an element that I'm really excited to see as well, because not only will everyone be balancing some sort of different racing calendars or sponsor requests or whatever else they might dream up, but everyone's going to come with different strengths and areas of opportunity. And so I think it's going to be really exciting how these races play out because when everyone's a cross country racer, everyone's training for the same types of effort and whoever's the best at that effort prevails. But when everyone's coming from these different backgrounds, it'll just be so fascinating to see who can use their strengths to pull off the win. Mm. Sure. Cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, Hannah has added something new, like a new twist for 2022. We alluded to it earlier in the introduction, but in Velo News, which I didn't know you write for very mm-hmm. frequently, mm-hmm. Uh, January 7th, 2022, she announced that she would be taking on privateering, uh, not even a word I knew existed. She <laughs> said, I'm excited to announce that in 2022, I'll be privateering. Honestly, excited is an understatement. I feel more motivated and inspired than ever, uh, ever before. And that f- and that's for more reasons than you might expect. Can you talk about that, Hannah, what it means, what it is, how you made the decision? Yeah. So I, like you said, I'm privateering this year, um, which essentially what privateering is, is creating your own team, but as one person. So I've, you know, gotten my group of sponsors around me and together those sponsors and myself create a quote unquote team. Um, and so for me, my co-title sponsors are pivot and DT Swiss, which they've just, they've really stepped up to the plate and I'm super excited, uh, for what we have in store this year. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we share the sponsor of Belay, who helped me out with that awesome kit. And then I also have Kenda on board, Um, I have the feed on board. So I, and I have some other sponsors as well. So I just feel like I have an incredible community around me. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited was I felt like, gosh, for 
a variety of reasons, but I feel like with this uh, structure, the sponsors that I have supporting me are really genuinely excited about what I'm doing and what I'm bringing to the table. And so that just creates a really great symbiotic relationship because when they're excited about what I'm doing, I get to do more of it. And then that makes them more excited. And then it just goes around and around and it feels like we can really help each other and be the best that we can be. Um, and so the way that privateering would usually work is you'd often present to your potential sponsors, your calendar and your list of events, and then kind of say, so do you want to be a part of it? Um, and of course there's some, some negotiations in there, you know, what have you, but, and that, that was a huge motivation for me is I, like I said, just a few moments ago is I love carrying a big race calendar. I don't like to be told that I can't do it. I want to try. I want to see what I'm capable of. I'll figure it out if I need to change it. Um, and so that was a huge motivation for me this year was I saw this opportunity with lifetime and the world cups and the pro XCTs. And I laid it all out and I looked at all these calendars and it's a huge, huge calendar, but I felt like I just kept looking at and looking at, and I just kept thinking, I can do this. I know how to structure this. And I just started getting so excited about planning the logistics and figuring out how to get from point A to point B and being the best racer I can be doing that. And that was when it just hit me of, I want to privateer because I know that that's the way that I can carry the biggest the biggest calendar or the most fun calendar or the calendar that will make me the best that I can be. And I want to work directly with my sponsors who are excited about that as well to get there. And that's why I just keep saying the word excited. I feel like I'm overusing it, but <laughs> I just feel so excited, so energized because I feel like I'm just carrying all of the momentum behind me, like wind at my back from all of these people who have equally, you know, raised their hands and said, yeah, like we're in go for it. And so I just feel all of that wind going forward. And I'm, I, I'm excited. Excuse me. No, that's great. Sarah, any questions about privateering? Um, well, I'm curious what, I guess I've done that in the past. It's been a number of years and it probably looks pretty different, but um, there is significantly more work for a privateer on the back end, like all these logistics and stuff that you're so excited about. <laughs> it may be exciting, but it's also a lot more work. And so um, how are you managing that or, or yeah, how is it going? Yeah, it's been going really well. I feel like I have great people in my corner to help me out. And so that's definitely a huge aspect of that. You know, um, my husband works in the industry, so he is most definitely my equipment manager mechanic helps me out with all of that behind the scenes and not so behind the scenes things. When we start getting to the races, um, I hired an agent this year and she's been super helpful as well. So you know, it's definitely building a support system. Um, but you know, I have been on teams for a really long time as well. And there's two sides of the coin with everything. You know, I, it's obviously a lot more work to be a privateer. Um, the team atmosphere is, is a lot easier, but it's not individualized. And so there's going to be pros and cons regardless. And I think that for me, this pro is going to tip in my favor. That's cool. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Exciting. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> I should have looked up. I should have opened my cinemas before the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. Hannah, as we kind of wrap up, I would love to hear uh, both of your incredible coaches 
And I know that you spend a lot of time providing advice. Um, is there something that you would share with, um, whether it's, I mean, my, I have a young daughter entering, you know, a uh, ninth grade year for mountain biking. Um, what would you say to like young Hannah or, uh, young girls getting ready to train and race and be part of, uh, you know, just this sport? Yeah. I think that it's all about seeking improvements and in that way, um, having a selective memory, you know, like (laughs) embrace the successes and be excited about those workouts that are breakthroughs and successful and exciting. And the ones that don't go to plan, shrug them off. You've thousands of workouts ahead of you. It, it doesn't matter. Just enjoy and embrace every moment that you get to spend out there. And, you know, I think it's easy to say, focus on the fun. To me, that's a given. You should be focusing on the fun. All of it should be fun. If it's not, if you're not the large majority of the rides and the training isn't fun, then that's a whole different conversation. But I think once we get past that, it's just focusing on improvement and just comparing you to you and not to others. Um, because you can only control yourself and especially at a young age, there's just so many things that are still going to change and shake out. It's, it's all about you, uh, you being better than you were. And in that way, remembering that winning has different meanings. Some of the things that I'm the most proud of in my career were never published in a magazine. They were never seen on the podium. You know, some of the biggest wins that you can have are just things that you experience within yourself and in your own heart. And that still counts as a win. And don't ever minimize that and don't let anyone else minimize that. There are a lot of times that when I first started, like I said, going from world champion to last in the grid that someone would ask me, oh man, how are you okay today? Like, you know, are you, are you disappointed or whatnot? And it would almost take me aback because I'd have to remember, oh yeah, I didn't win. Because in my mind I had, I had won. I had won my own little race, my own little battle, whatever that was. And I think that's what can keep you in the sport for a long time. Very cool. Um, oh, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, well, I was going to say, you know, Hannah said, focus on the fun is a given. And I, I mean, I was going to say that for, for young athletes, that it, it shouldn't be about um, the competition at that, at those really young ages and, and much more about just kind of developing healthy relationships with recreation, whether it's cycling or, or whatever. Um, but I will say, I think that is getting harder and harder, like here in Utah with the high school league, it's more and more competitive and younger and younger riders are training and racing more and more like pros with, um, the pressures and the expectations that come along with that. So, um, you know, I would circle back to what Hannah talked about earlier, um, to try as hard as you can to maintain that beginner's mindset, um, and have an open mind, um, I, I, it makes me a little bit sad to, when I talk to certain juniors that, um, are really experiencing, um, a lot of pressure. So I, yeah, I would just highlight, um, kind of what we talked about earlier with that. Absolutely. And I think that ties in as well to just understanding that as an athlete, you're a human being and you're an entire human being. You're not just a motor. You're not a robot, you know, things you experience emotions and that's a good thing. And you should listen to those emotions and you should understand that being a whole athlete is what's going to make you the fastest athlete and being a happy athlete is what's going to make you the fastest athlete. So don't ever discount what it takes to make you happy because that happiness is what's going to drive the pedals. And so even if that means riding less or 
you know, wh whatever that looks like, even if it's not in the traditional um, trajectory, if it's making you happy and it's making you a whole person, it's probably for the best. Yeah, that that comes before all the other stuff. Absolutely. Happiness mm -hmm. drives the pedals. Oh, man, that's going in the Bible. Sword's got his tagline. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's awesome. Uh, Hannah, what about advice you'd share on mental health? You, you spend a lot of time, I believe, on socials, which I love, talking about mental training, mental toughness, the psychology of sport. Um, any advice there or suggestions? Yeah. I mean, like I just alluded to, I think, like I said, happiness drives the pedals. And so it's really important to get into that happy place. That's actually why I asked belay to put a smiley face on the back pocket of my Jersey. Yes. So I have a little smiley face on my back pocket because I, I want to look at that every time I put my Jersey on and remember that this is fun and this is what makes me happy. And that happiness is what's going to make me the best athlete that I can be. Um, and so, yeah, I think, and, and I think that you know, that happiness comes from the bike. It comes from family and friends and being well balanced and having other interests and all of these things. Um, but you know, when we're just honing in on the bike, one of the exercises that I like to give people a lot is creating, um, a happiness journal or a gratitude journal or whatever you want to call it is I'll tell people that for every ride they do, to write down three things that made them happy or that went well. And they can be really small things. It can be, I saw a tree and it was beautiful, or it can be, I hit a PR today. You know, it can be across a whole spectrum of things. And on some days it'll be really easy to throw down those three things. And on some days when it's hard, that's when it matters the most because you get back from the ride unclip your helmet. And you're just like, nothing went well. It was a terrible day. And then you sit down to your gratitude journal and you think, actually my warm up went really well. And <laughs> the sun felt really nice today. And next thing, you know, you're feeling a lot better about your ride. And then on those days when it's hard to get out the door, you're not so sure, you know, you can look back and you can read all of the amazing experiences and wonderful feelings that cycling has given you. I love that. Very good. Anything to add to that, Sarah? Um, well, it just made me think when you mentioned the smiley face on your Jersey, it made me think how, um, training peaks had added mm -hmm. the <laughs> smiley faces to the frowny faces mm. for the workouts because I love oh, it. Funny. Sometimes when you know when I can't get an athlete to write like some decent notes about the workout, if they just click the smiley face and the RPE scale, it it kind of um <laughs> it's very nice for a coach to see yes. a smiley face on a workout. <laughs> yeah, that is usually the first thing. Even if I see a comment, the first thing I'll look at with the athletes that I coach is the smiley face of like, Oh, yay. This comment's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's also, it's just been an interesting learning to see. I have some people who consistently do the full, most exaggerated <laughs> smiley face and some people kind of consistently do a frowny face. Sad. And certainly that is um, concerning. That's a kind of a separate issue, but I love the people who always have the the super happy. Cause I, I feel more like a consistently medium, like mid-level smiley face. <laughs> Surely it, it tells you a lot about a person. I'm sure there's some psychology. Well, yeah. It. Like what the baseline is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I just love the idea of every person you pass seeing that smiley face. Hand. Like, <laughs> Oh man, she's smiling while she's crushing me. <laughs> That's funny. Well, let's come in for landing. Hannah, uh, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd want to share or say before we wrap up? Um, not, I mean, these were great questions. The only other thing I would say is that if people want to follow me, they can do so on social media, um, at Hannah underscore Finn champ. Um, that's my maiden name. So F I N champ C H A M P. Um, or you can follow me on my website, which is www.hannahfinchamp.com. 
We are following. <laughs> I can't. We're watching very, very closely. Thanks thank so you much. for being on. Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, gals. Appreciate your time. It was uh, good to be with you. And thank you, Hannah, for everything you shared. Thank you so much. Take care.